Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How are you all doing? I do hope you're okay. Well, we are going on our holiday in about 30 hours time from the point of recording this. And we're just going for four nights because our main holiday was such a disaster. And the forecast for where we're going for the entire time we are away is the worst weather in this country, not the UK where we're flying to, has experienced in years. The words freak weather conditions have been used. I'm literally, just before I recorded this, taking out sun cream from the suitcase and putting in cardigans. So so that's winning. So I really think I just need to write off this year's holidays as a disaster and start again next year. But never mind, we will go. And I am checking the weather apps like somebody possessed. And every time one weather app shows really bad weather, I go on to the next weather app and think, oh, well, if this one shows better weather, I'll believe that instead. And they're all showing that it's going to be pretty bad. So I hope next time I talk to you, I am back and not marooned somewhere in awful weather. But there we go. Enough about that. Enough about bad weather, because today is all about great books. I've got five really good reads that I want to tell you all about. And the books are Everyone Here is Lying by Shari Lapena, And Shari is going to come on and talk to us about that book. Then we've got The New Wife by J.P. Delaney. And J.P. is going to come on and talk to us about that book. Then I'm reviewing You're Not Supposed to Die Tonight by Kaylin Bayron. Abroad in Japan by Chris Broad. And The Simple Truth by James Buckler. Those are your five books. Let me tell you all about them. Because honestly, I'm really excited to talk to you about these books. So the first one, sorry for the noise of the books being moved about. Everyone here is lying. Let me read you the blurb. Welcome to Stanhope, a place for families. William Wooler is a family man on the surface, but he's been having an affair. An affair that ended horribly this afternoon at a motel up the road. So when he returns to his house, devastated and angry, to find his difficult nine-year-old daughter Avery unexpectedly home from school, William loses his temper. Hours later, Avery's family declares her missing. 
Suddenly, Stanhope doesn't feel so safe, and William isn't the only one on his street who's hiding a lie. As witnesses come forward with information that may or may not be true, Avery's neighbours become increasingly unhinged. Who took Avery Wooler? Nothing will prepare you for the truth. Brilliant. Let's go and talk to Shari now. Well, it is my huge pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Shari Lapena, whose most brilliant and wonderful latest book is called Everyone Here is Lying. Shari, welcome back. Thank you. It's so good to have you on the podcast again. But let's start with the real basics. Could you give us a summary of this story? Yes. Okay. It's about a missing nine-year-old girl called Avery. And she goes missing one afternoon after she's been sent home from school for misbehaving in choir. And she's not supposed to come home by herself. She's supposed to wait for her older brother, Michael. But she goes home on her own and lets herself into the house. And unbeknownst to her father, who's out having an affair at a motel, he's at this hotel and he gets dumped. And he, at loose ends, he goes back to what he thinks is going to be an empty house. And he finds his daughter there. And she's a very challenging little girl. She's very bright. She's quite difficult. She's quite oppositional and is quite challenging. And so they get into a bit of an argument and he hits her and knocks her to the floor. And then there's a little... Uh, interaction between them where he's bargaining with her, you know, please don't tell your mother. And you can see that she's a bit manipulative and that there are problems in this family. Anyway, he leaves, leaving her home alone. And a short time later, her brother comes home. He can't find her anywhere. And she's declared missing by the family. And of course, the police become involved and they look very closely at the father who cannot disclose where he was that day because he, you know, he's with his lover and he's not supposed to be. But they start to look at the family very closely, and clearly the family has some problems with how they handle the daughter. And 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 then as the as the investigation moves outward, we meet lots of people on the street who all sort of know something, or think they know something, or pretend they know something about what happened to Avery. And it all becomes very complicated, and everyone's under a microscope, and everyone becomes very unraveled. And of course, the reader is like, "Where the heck is Avery?" And the time is running out, so. It's it's a tense read, I think. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, you're very kindly going to read us a little bit from the mm-hmm. beginning of the book. Yeah. So this is chapter one. They don't speak as William walks her to her car parked behind the motel. They never leave their cars out front where they might be recognized. No one will ever know they were here. At least this is what they tell themselves, what they've told themselves every time over the last few months as their affair kindled, burned brightly but now it has been abruptly snuffed out by her. He didn't see it coming. They'd met at their usual motel on the outskirts of town where no one knows them. It's on the main highway. They had to be discreet. They couldn't meet in their own homes because they're both married, and she apparently wants to stay that way. Until half an hour ago, he hadn't really had to think about it. He feels like he's had a rug pulled out from beneath his feet, and he still hasn't regained his balance. They stop at her vehicle and he leans in to kiss her. She averts her face. Despair and desperation take hold, the realization that she really means it. He turns quickly and walks away, leaving her standing there, keys in her hand. When he gets to his car, he looks across to her, but she's already starting the engine and driving away in a burst of speed as if making a point. He stands there bereft, watching her go. Something had seemed different about her today. He always arrived at the motel first, checked in, paid in cash, got the key, and texted her the unit number. 
Today, when she knocked and stepped inside, she'd pulled him close and kissed him more hungrily than usual. There were no words. They tore off each other's clothes the same way as always, made love the same as always. Afterward, she usually lay with her head on his chest, listening to his heart, she'd say. But today, she sat up against the headboard and stared straight ahead, looking at the two of them in the bureau mirror. She'd pulled the white sheets up to cover her breasts, also unlike her. She wasn't listening to his heart anymore. We have to end this, she said. What? He looked up at her, startled, then pulled himself up to sit beside her. What are you talking about? He studied her, such a beautiful woman, the bone structure, smooth blonde hair, the natural glamour reminiscent of an old-fashioned film star. He felt a surge of alarm. She turned her head and looked at him then. William, I can't do this anymore. I have a family, kids to think of. I have kids too. You're not a mother. It's not the same. It didn't stop you before, he pointed out. It didn't stop you today. Fantastic. How did you get the idea for this story? You know, it was just, I had this, I wanted a, a story where a little girl went missing and I didn't want her to be a typical little girl who goes missing, you know, perfect little girl that everybody loves and everybody thinks is is perfect. I wanted her to be a troubled little girl and I wanted the family to have you know, dysfunction in it. I wanted them to actually see something wrong with the family there to sort of heighten the fear that the family might have done something to her. And I wanted the child's, her, her behaviors to cause a split between the two parents who handle her differently. So the father wants to set boundaries. It doesn't work. She ignores them. The mother doesn't want to set the boundaries quite so much. Anyway, they disagree. It damaged their marriage. So the idea that I had was simply the the father hitting the girl so hard that she fell to the floor and then him kind of bargaining with her and then and then she would go missing and then we would start to see what would happen. So once I had that scene in my head, I thought, well, let's give him an affair that's ended so that he's upset and comes home early. And that sort of, you know, and then from there, I, I just went from there. Lots of your books are about families. Do you go to family get-togethers with a notepad. I went to a family get-together yesterday, but I didn't I didn't take a notepad. I keep it all up here. But no, there was nothing really, no. But, you know, I hear stories all the time, families, and, and, and I never use them directly. But, you know, you look at any family, there's all kinds of stuff, always. I mean, my family has stuff. I'm sure your family has stuff. There's, there's oh, yeah. lots of stuff. And friends, you know, I have friends who tell me everything, and I don't use their personal information, but it always gets your your ideas going, you know, because every family is troubled in some way or another. You know, if it's not the nuclear family, it's certainly the extended family mm. or friends of the family or whoever. People are interesting. Are all books equally as hard to write or are some harder than others? And where does this sit in that range? I think they're all really hard. I think, and I always feel that the one I've just written was the hardest one of all. But then I get over it. It's like childbirth. It's so painful. And then you forget about the pain, right? Or otherwise, you would never write another one. You would never have another child. So <laughs> I think they're all difficult in a different way. They all have their own challenges. But I, I've i never found an easy book. My first one was probably my easiest because I didn't have to. Yeah, I was just on my own. But yeah, they're all hard. I find them all hard. They mm. don't get easier. I think any writer will tell you it doesn't get any easier. Well, it's a shame because we love reading them. So I'm sorry it's yeah. so painful for you, but it's it's <laughs> you know, worth it. Sometimes writing is quite, you know, playful and, and fun. But yeah, the, the bad parts you forget because, <laughs> yeah, it's like childbirth. 
You have to. Can you tell us a bit more about the main characters? We don't want any spoilers, but Mm -hmm. anything more you can tell us? I can tell you that the woman that William Wooler, the the father in the story, is seeing is really, really anxious about not being discovered that she's been cheating. So she's a fairly critical character. And we do look at her life and all her concerns about being found out. And of course, when someone goes missing in a neighborhood or someone is murdered, the police, you're under their scrutiny and all your secrets come out. So she's terrified that she will be found out as the other woman. And (laughs) it's really fun to watch her anxiety, you know, and I guess it's not a spoiler. Of course, they're going to find out who the other woman is. But then she's got a whole family dynamic going on too. You know, why she cheats and why she feels she has to not be found out. And there are other people on the street who have their own agendas and have their reasons to dislike certain other people on the street and to dislike Avery. And yeah, it's I can't tell you too much else. But the, the main characters are William and his wife, Erin. And the problems, we look at the problems they have with each other because of this difficult child and how they handle her disappearance differently. And then we have his lover and her family and they're integral to it. And then there's another family with a little girl right across the street who is Avery's best friend. They become involved in a funny way. So yeah, they all kind of grow. Like everybody on this street has, not everybody, but there's a lot of people in that street who have something to add or to invent or run you know, some axe to grind. So no one, everyone's lying, basically. (laughs) With the fact that, you know, you've written so many books now, I'm interested in when an idea for a book is, becomes a book, becomes a story. How, at what point do you know it will work? I pretty much, I'm, I'm lucky once I have my idea, like the hardest thing for me is to come up with the idea. I find that so many things have been done already and you don't want to be copying someone else and it has to be something new and something that really grabs you. Once I have the idea, I'm usually fine, but there's only once where I hit about 30,000 words and I thought, this isn't working for me. Generally, I start writing it and the characters take over and it grows and I'm really invested and it's fine. But there's one time, it just it just wasn't grabbing me. It wasn't it wasn't taking off. Like, I think I know by 30,000 words, if it's not taking off, if, if it's not working for me, I just put that one away. But that's only happened once out of like eight books. Were there so. any signs to you before the 30,000 words that it wasn't going to work and you sort of just kept going? Or was it yeah, a real surprise? I, I felt I was kind of forcing it. And that's never a good sign because I never force mine. Like they usually just organically go. And I, I think this time, if I feel like if I'm forcing it after 10,000 words, I think I'll stop. (laughs) Why waste the time, right? I mean, I know pretty quickly if the energy is there and the curiosity is there and there's enough opportunities. I think with that other one, there just, there there weren't the, the, the branches growing that have to happen for my books. So it just wasn't growing for me. So I got rid of it. And when you were writing, everyone here is lying. Did the book ever surprise you at any point? Yes, that usually happens with my books because I I don't have a plan. I don't I don't know where it's going to go. I don't even know. I I, I know who the starting characters are. They're my you know starting post characters. But then I invent new characters as I go along as the story evolves. So uh, yeah, I never know where it's going. So I'm often surprised by, for instance, in this one I was surprised by I'll just say the treehouse angle. That was a complete surprise to me. Mm. I was also surprised by the 
dumpster. What happened there? Like that was, I didn't, you know, that was just like, oh, is that what the dumpster's there for? Like, I just found that fun. I didn't know that the husband Al was going to turn out the way he turned out. I didn't know that certain mothers, this book is really fun for me because there's a lot of mothers who are, I talk sometimes about comparative and compa competitive parenting where the parents think, oh, my kid's fabulous. And, and, uh, you know, and they, they point the finger at someone else's child and, and then the focus comes back on them. And it's just, it's so interesting to see how parents react when their kids are accused of something heinous. There's quite a range of, of, of parenting styles. And, and so that's fun. So there's a few mothers in the book, some fathers, neighbors, you know, we have detectives, we have two detectives. And I, I made the woman detective younger and smarter than her older partner. That was fun. And the interesting thing about this one is, I don't know that it's a spoiler to say that it's not necessarily the police that solved the crime. It's someone else. So hmm. I don't think I've given too much away there, but it's a, no. it's a bit different. Yeah. Well, we come to the final question, which is the most crucial one on this podcast, Shari. So please prepare yourself for this. Okay. And it is, what biscuit was powering the writing of Everyone Here is Lying? It's so funny because when I interview people, I always ask at the end, what's your secret snack? Oh, so I've heard some very interesting secret snacks. I it's it's not biscuits with me unless I happen to have made a batch of homemade chocolate chip cookies, and then that's my absolute favorite. I love chocolate chip cookies, but everyone who knows me well knows that I love dark chocolate and I love chocolate chips. So my it's not so much cookies; it's dark chocolate. So I'll seventy percent to seventy two percent dark chocolate or Hershey's chocolate chips. And that's what yeah. powering. I have a bag always in my fridge. That's yeah. fantastic. I mean, I wish carrots worked, but they just don't. <laughs> just don't with me. And with a lot of female writers, I find chocolate is the go-to. Yeah. Know? So if it works, that we go with it and it works for you. So there we are. Yeah. I mean, you got to do sometimes what you got to do. But <laughs> I feel like a Pavlovian dog. Instead of salivating when I get my chocolate, I start reading <laughs> I write faster. So the more the more chocolate you get, the faster you write. It's That's like awesome. a learned response, a conditioned <laughs> response. Like chocolate, okay, I'll write another page. <laughs> well, we're fine with that. Keep keep eating, keep writing. It's just wonderful to talk to you about your latest book, Everyone Here is Lying. Shari Lapena, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Coming up, one more author interview and more book reviews. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. 
Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So the next book is The New Wife by J.P. Delaney. And let me read you the blurb on this one. When Finn Henson gets a call from his sister Jess to say their father has died, neither is heartbroken. Their parents divorced many years ago, after which their father, Jimmy, continued to live a bohemian lifestyle in Sunsoak, Mallorca. Ownership of his beautiful but dilapidated farmhouse in the mountains now passes to Finn and his sister. The only problem is that Jimmy recently remarried and his new wife, Wensa, is still living there. The pair agree that Finn should go to Mallorca and tactfully take possession of their inheritance. When he arrives, however, Finn is surprised to find that Finca Sequia has been completely transformed into a chic Mediterranean bolt hole by Duenza and her 27-year-old daughter, Rosa. The Spanish police, meanwhile, are asking awkward questions about Jimmy's death. And let's go and talk to J.P. Delaney about this book now. Well, it is my hugest of huge pleasures to welcome to the podcast today J.P. Delaney, whose latest fantastic book is called The New Wife. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Let's start with the real basics. Can you give us a summary of this book? Yeah, it's it's got a very simple premise in that there's a young man in his 30s. He grew up, spent the first 15 years of his life in Mallorca, and then his parents divorced. And his parents were hippies, and their only asset was a sort of dilapidated farmhouse in the Mallorcan countryside. And the deal was that the father would go on using it for his lifetime, but when he died, his children, the two of them, would inherit And so we start with the young man discovering that he's inherited this house. And the only slight problem is that his father has recently remarried for the third time. And they're not quite sure if the new wife knows about this inheritance. So he is dispatched to go and tactfully remind her that the house is not hers. And when he gets there, he gets two surprises. The first is that this once dilapidated house is now an absolutely beautiful Mediterranean bolt hole, fantastically restored by the new wife. And the other is that she has a daughter just slightly younger than him. And he starts to develop feelings for the daughter. And he's sort of agonising over what his moral responsibility is in this situation. You know, can he just throw them out of their home? His sister's view is very much, yes, we should throw them out and sell. He's trying to work out something a bit more nuanced. But in the process, he falls more and more heavily for the daughter. And we're never quite sure, because we only see it from his perspective, we're never quite sure what the truth of the situation is, whether they are perhaps being slightly more manipulative than than he realises, or whether in fact that's just his sister being cynical. What a summary that is. It just makes me want to pick up the book again and read it a second time. Now, you've agreed very kindly to read us a little bit from the book. It's from the opening page. Yes, so this is a kind of prologue. In rural parts of Mallorca, you still come across clusters of carob trees surrounded by high nets open to the sky. These are estrampes, the songbird traps. The farmers coat the branches with sticky lime. When migrating thrushes and other small birds land on them, they get stuck in the lime and, after a few hours of struggle, die from exhaustion, ready to be plucked off the branches next morning. 
Rosa told me once that they do something similar in Albania, but there she said they used mist nets, so called because the mesh is so fine the birds can't see it, or if they do, they mistake it for harmless floating spider's threads. But the aim is similar, to entangle the bird before it fully realises what's going on, so that its increasing struggle to free itself is the very thing that eventually kills it. The glue and the net, two different ways of hunting. But in both cases, the prey doesn't even realise it's being hunted until it's much too late. What a great opening. Now, with all the books that you've published, why why this book? Why now? Well, that's an interesting question because I actually started it just before lockdown. I was going to go and do a research trip to Mallorca. And for all sorts of reasons, partly to do with lockdown and various other things that were going on, I I abandoned it. I'd written kind of 20,000 words and I just pushed it aside. And I then worked on the TV adaptation of The Girl Before, my, my first psychological thriller. That became my lockdown project. And that was filmed during lockdown, which was quite an experience. And then I wrote My Darling Daughter. And it was only after that that I came back to this and thought, I really, really want to write that book. I literally just, in that prologue that you just heard, wasn't the original beginning of the book. It was the, it started with the next page. And having found that kind of tone of voice, somehow the reframing of it unlocked whatever it was that was holding me back. And the story just kind of fell into place. And it was, it was one of those really rare books for me that just kind of wrote itself. And I remember I was going to finish enough of it just to show a TV company. And I kept thinking, I just want to write one more scene because that next scene, that's really good. I'm just going to do a few more pages and then a few more pages and a few more pages. Before I knew where I was, I was writing, you know, the, the big finale at the end. And what I wrote is in that first draft is almost unchanged. So as I say, that that very, very rarely happens to me. And, you know, I think I'm probably paying for it in the karma of my next book, which is tr- proving much harder to write. Interesting though, that a book is sort of, burned itself into your mind and, and it wouldn't let go of you until you had finished its story. Have any of the characters stayed with you after you finished it? No spoilers, but have any stayed in your mind? Oh, very much so. Very much so. You know, I, again, the characters just sort of appeared quite fully fledged. It's no, it's no secret that it was partly inspired by my cousin Rachel, which is probably my favourite of Daphne du Maurier's psychological thrillers. And I wanted to sort of take that, again, it's a story about an inheritance and a foreign wife and a young man's, in that case, a young man's suspicion, in this case, a young man's possibly naivety. I wanted to take that kind of structure and put it into a modern context. So in this story, one of the things that complicates it early on is that he discovers that his father's new wife and her daughter are from Albania. And I actually made that choice before Albanians became a sort of thing in the news with small boats and people trafficking. But they obviously were connected with criminal gangs when I was writing the book. And the narrator, Finn, is is very angry that people jump to conclusions about the wife and her daughter because of this and sees himself partly as defending them against the kind of casual racism of the police and other suspicious types. And then the reader has to kind of make up their own mind based on the information they have. How do you know when an idea is will be a book? At what point do you know it would work? It's so hard. I mean, that's I spend longer looking looking for ideas and working than working on the sort of idea than I do 
actually writing the book usually. And I have abandoned books and I know other authors who have abandoned books and I have notebooks full of ideas. But of course, they're not really notebooks of ideas. They're notebooks of failed ideas because for one reason or another, I haven't actually written them. And I sort of hope that one day, perhaps two of these ideas will combine. I mean, that's often the key. An idea that's big enough for a book is actually two ideas that have come together and you, or two personalities who you can see their kind of their relationship. I think I'm a great believer that all books are about a relationship at their core and finding that interesting relationship, even in a, a crime book or a psychological thriller. I think that's, that's the key for me about exciting me enough to, to, to write the book. And in terms of the hook, I would say all your books have great hooks. You know, I hear what the story is about and I immediately want to jump in and explore that hook. Are the hooks important to you in setting out the story or is that just how you write? Yes. I mean, I think you need a great premise, but you also need for the great premise to go somewhere. In an ideal world, I think you also find an interesting way of telling your story. I think in a way... In a way, that's the least important. I mean, it's lovely to find a new sort of narrative device, and I'm very keen on different narrative voices and timelines and things like that. But equally, some books just demand to be written in a very simple way, and that's also fine. But you do need to have, as well as a premise, you need to have an interesting place for your premise to go. I'm interested, though, in the process. Which is more painful for you, the plotting or the editing? Probably the plotting because you're sort of conjuring something out of nothing. Once you've finished a draft, you know, sometimes you think, well, I've finished a draft and there's actually nothing there. But sometimes you think, no, if I do this and this and this, and you're sort of moulding it, and it's that's more of a process. It's less, I'm a great believer in rewriting, and I think rewrites are where, you know, things become good. But equally, you have to have something there to rewrite, and that's probably the harder bit, is particularly in, particularly in this genre where, you know, there are quite a lot of books which have quite similar sort of progressions, quite similar character arcs, and it's you just need something to make yours stand out from from the others, I guess. It's the scariest part of writing a book from the first day of coming up with the ideas to publication day and beyond. Is there one day that's like the the scariest day of all? I think once you've had the idea and you and you know you've got a decent idea then I think that's the scary bit over <laughs> to be honest everything from then on is actually I mean the actual process of writing I mean I, I adore it I love it it's just you know because you get lost in it and you know after months of just sort of staring at a notebook or make trying to make something you know gel then actually sort of turning once you've got a story structure in your mind and often I usually I will have a story structure even though I usually abandon it halfway through and go and think, oh, this is terrible, I can do much better than this and, you know, throw everything up in the air again. But yeah, it's, I mean, writing is is just a, you know, it's such a privilege to be able to do that. And to, to be a published writer is, is just fantastic. And I have a great publisher and, you know, talking to readers is nice. It's just a, it's just a lovely job. So the publishing day itself isn't one filled with fear. It, it's quite exciting to get your books out there to the world. Yes. I mean, there's fear about how, how it'll be received, I guess. And, you know, I've had enough bad reviews to know that good reviews are not guaranteed. This book actually, gratifyingly, has had really good reviews from critics. It's polarised readers more, I think. I do a couple of things in it which some readers 
you know, don't like. And I think the first sort of week or so, I will go and look at the reviews on the Waterstones website or Amazon or or bloggers and just see what everyone's thinking. And, you know, it's the old thing that you can have five good ones and one bad one. It's the bad one that sticks with you, particularly if it says something where you go, oh, I knew I should have fixed that, you know. But with this one, I made some choices that I knew not everyone would would get it's i mean it's it's an unusual thriller in that it's more of a love story and you're not quite sure actually if a crime is being committed or if a crime is being committed and if what you want is a very traditional thriller then this book will probably not be for you but if you know if you're happy to read about a relationship as it develops and it develops a bit like a game of cat and mouse but you're not quite sure who's the cat and who's the mouse. And yeah, so it's it's slightly different, but I like that about it. It kind of excited me in the writing of it. Gosh, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Well, we come to the final question, JP, which is the crucial one on this podcast. So please prepare yourself for this. And that is what biscuit was powering the writing of The New Wife? What was your biscuit of choice? I don't actually eat biscuits. I I don't have a sweet tooth. I only have a savoury tooth. So I eat a lot of cheese. So the the only biscuit I really would say that I eat are Peter's Yard, absolutely bog standard classic cheese crackers. Fair enough. So biscuits are being consumed, I suppose, but with a plethora of cheese on top. Exactly. Much too much cheese. <laughs> I eat. What is what is your cheese of choice? Well, I'm incredibly fortunate in that I live near Oxford and we have a fantastic cheese company called the Oxford Cheese Company who deliver and it's quite lethal. They've got they've got hundreds of cheeses, particularly good actually with French cheeses. I would say Comte probably is probably my absolutely favourite cheese, but there are many, many that I could highlight on their website which are absolutely fantastic. Well, if the cheese keeps helping the writing of your books you need to keep that order going immediately to keep the cheese flowing jp delaney whose latest book is the new wife thank you so much thank you so now let's go to you're not supposed to die tonight by kaylin Bayron. this was a book i read on holiday it's a ya sort of horror but I found myself laughing at times and I had wonderful sprayed edges. There were sort of yellow sprayed edges with splatters of blood on. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, dear. I know. I'm a one. Anyway, let me read you the blurb. Charity Curtis has a summer job of her dreams, playing the final girl at Camp Mirror Lake. Guests pay to be scared in this full contact terror game as Charity and her summer crew recreate scenes from a classic slasher film, the curse of Camp Mirror Lake. The more realistic the fear, the better for business. But on the last weekend of the season, Charity's co-workers begin disappearing. And when one ends up dead, Charity's role as the final girl suddenly becomes all too real. If Charity and her girlfriend Bessie hope to survive the night, they'll need to figure out what the killer is after. But as they unravel the bloody history of the real Mirror Lake, Charity discovers that there may be more to the story than she ever suspected. Now, let me read you the first few sentences of this one. Chapter one. My hands are smeared with blood. Dirt sticks under my nails. My jeans are ripped at the knee and my T-shirt is stained because I had to claw my way out from my hiding spot under the supply cabin. He is too close and I can't risk staying here. 
I love this book. I love the different premise that she's actually sort of acting out this horror experience that people choose to take part in. So when you start the book, you feel comfortable because you think, oh, yes, it's all a game. But as you've heard from the blurb, things then take a different turn. And what might be a game initially is not. Yes, I was laughing out loud at times because it's it's just is it serious? It is a serious horror book, but it's also funny. I don't know. I just enjoyed it. It was a romp. I, I, I enjoyed it so much. I immediately went and ordered more of Kaylin's books, one of which I'm actually reading now and just into, which is called Cinderella is Dead. I thought this book, You're Not Supposed to Die Tonight, was different, fresh, um, consuming. It had everything. And I don't know what sort of a reader I am anymore. Now I'm reading YA with a dose of horror. What is going on? All I know that's going on is it's a great book. And another thing that I don't normally do, your next book is non-fiction. This is called Abroad in Japan, 10 Years in the Land of the Rising Sun by Chris Broad. Let me read you the blurb of this one. When Englishman Chris Broad landed in a rural village in northern Japan, he wondered if he'd made a huge mistake. With no knowledge of the language and zero teaching experience, was he about to be the most quickly fired English teacher in Japan's history? Abroad in Japan charts a decade of living in a foreign land and the chaos and culture clash that came with it. Packed with hilarious and fascinating stories, this book seeks out to unravel one of the world's most complex cultures. Let me read you the first sentence of this. Prologue, The Interview, January 2012. I was sitting in the corner of one of the cavernous rooms at the Japanese embassy in Mayfair, London. The room was impressive, with a golden chandelier dangling from the ceiling and a lavish red carpet. But it was practically empty, giving me nothing to distract me from my mounting nerves. The only furniture was a table, on top of which sat a clipboard holding the results of the English grammar test I'd just completed. It took all my self-control not to sneak a peek. I got an email about this book and thought, that sounds interesting. And I thought, oh, should I get it? I don't know. Then I was in a bookshop and thought, oh, I'm going to have a read. You know, when you just you're not sure about a book. So you look at the first page and have a feel. And and it just it sang to me. The book sang to me. So it came home with me. I did pay for it. I didn't steal it. But yes, it just it sang to me and I and I needed to read it. And I am so glad I did. I found it easy to read, so interesting, made me look at things differently. I was captivated by it. It was funny, light in some ways, serious in others. Just a great read. And so, yes, who am I? What books am I reading this time? I don't know. But yeah, Abroad in Japan, Chris Broad, excellent. And the final book is called The Simple Truth by James Buckler. I've had this one for a bit to read and I finally got round to it. This is the blurb. A young woman is dead. A very wealthy client needs a favour. You're a newly qualified lawyer and this could be your big break. So you jump at the chance. The case is about to be closed. All you have to do is talk to a family, ask them to sign some papers. How difficult could it be? Their daughter was found dead at a beauty spot on the outskirts of London in what you're told was a tragic suicide. Only you can uncover what really happened. But the truth is never that simple. And this case could cost you your life. Prologue. 
Mist drifted over the frozen ground. Dawn was breaking. A low winter sun skirted the treetops. The marshland lay still, the reed beds dusted with frost. To the south, the Thames curled through the landscape, rippling over the mudflats where its flow met the incoming tide. Beyond the horizon, London began to stir as the city woke to a new day. I enjoyed this book. I really did. And I was finding it hard when I was reading this book, not a reflection on the book, but I was going through this phase. I don't know if anyone else does, but you you agonising over which book to read because there's so many to choose from. And when you sit down and start the book, there are about another three, four or five books calling you saying, no, read me, read me. And it's very hard to actually get into the book. So you get into the book and probably from about, I don't know, a third through to two thirds through, you're really into it. And then for the last third, you're aware that you're coming to the end. And all you can do is hear these other three, four, five books saying, oh, read me next. When you finished it, read me. And I'm just trying to switch that off in my head and just sit and enjoy the story. So considering all that that was going on with me, this book still kept me gripped. So that just shows I thought it had lots of turns. It's not your typical thriller. It's not your typical crime book. It's a sort of a combination of all of that. Um, There was the pace, the tension. I thought it was a good book. And until I picked it up in a bookshop, I hadn't heard anything about it. So, yeah, really glad I got it and really glad I read it. So those are your books. That's it today. Shall I give you a quick recap on what we've gone through? We've had Everyone Here is Lying by Shari LaPena. And Shari very kindly came on to talk to us about that. Then we had The New Wife by J.P. Delaney. And J.P. came and talked to us about that book. Then we had, if I can find it because it's hiding... You're Not Supposed to Die Tonight by Kaylin Bayron. And then we had Abroad in Japan by Chris Broad. And finally, we had, oh, my puzzle books are not working. Here we go. The Simple Truth by James Buckler. Those are your books. That's it. I'm off now. I'm off to experience a family holiday where all we want to do is lots of swimming and stuff in freak weather conditions and I don't mean it's going to be hot I mean it's just thunder lightning rain so yeah that's that's me I'm off at least I'll get some reading done that's true let's focus on the positives Philippa come on anyway I'm off I hope you're okay um some of you have been in touch and you're going through all sorts of things so I'm just thinking of you sending you all my love and I'll speak to you very soon Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.